Good morning. You know, I wanted to uh, speak to you this morning on the subject of community. And I thought to myself, I don't know what I can say that hasn't already been said about community. And as I was sitting over there and, and I observed uh, when Dawn came forward and then, and then Deidre came beside her and, and they, they held hands, lifting their hands high to God, that's community. That's what it is. That's what it looks like. And I was just so touched and so moved by, by her testimony. We've all been praying for Truman. And just, it's just so awesome to hear that. Um, you know, I don't really, I'm not going to share everything that I had planned on sharing now. The time's gone a little bit short. But I do want to make mention just of a couple things. There are, I know there are, uh, the way our church is growing and there's new people coming in all the time, it almost feels awkward. But every time I come up to speak, I feel like I should just kind of tell you who I am. <laughs> Most of you know me, but some of you don't. But uh, my name's Jeff Caldwell, and, and I've been a lifetime member of this church, uh, except for the times that we lived in the South, going to Bible college and, and uh, living life down there for a while. And I want to, uh, also want to just share briefly a word of gratitude. Beth and I, um, it's been about a year now. It was a year in April that we felt the, the leading of the Lord to move into a full-time area of ministry and counseling. And so we, we organized and formed Wounded Heart Counseling Services back in uh, 2009, but we kind of did it part-time. I had my job, she had her job, and uh, we really didn't know where the Lord was going to take that. Through a series of events, one of them being she lost her job. She was downsized. And by the way, for those of you who heard from my two kids, my two brats, that she was fired because she was drinking on the job, that was not true. <clears throat> They literally told people that. I said, haven't we talked about filters? You know, isn't there a filter there that says, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe somebody might actually believe that was true. We just kind of laughed it off. But anyway, she was, her whole department was downsized. This happened in, in 2009. And we both felt when that happened that the Lord's hand was in that. We weren't sure why. And she had a, a wealth of experience as administrative assistant and uh, put out resumes, had a few nibbles here and there, but nothing ever came. We just began to feel like maybe the Lord wanted us to work together in this counseling thing. So she came on board and kind of took over the administration, the administrative part of it because I was making a mess of that, trust me. And uh, so she does that, I do the counseling. And we're doing it here, by the way, since October, we're back here in the church. We, we have a little room down at the end of the children's wing that we convert from Sunday school to counseling office about four times a week, which is kind of interesting, but we've got it down where we can do it in like 30 minutes now. Um, and I just wanted to thank, there's a, there are many of you who, and you know who you are, who have been supporting us since we started this, especially since we went full-time a year ago. And I want you to know that we could not be doing what we're doing without you doing what you're doing. And I mean that. Those of you who pray for us, those of you who are actually uh, supporting us financially, um, we appreciate it. And the thing is that what we do, the counseling ministry, is kind of one of those behind-the-scenes type ministries because you really can't parade a bunch of uh, you know, folks that you're ministering to in the counseling environment in front of the church and say, hey, tell everybody what's going on. That's not, not what you do. So it's a very private type thing. But there has one, one person who in the last couple of years has become very, very special to Beth and I who wrote a letter for us, and actually we published that letter in our newsletter. For those of you who are part of, uh, who are receiving that, you, you probably have read this. 
And I asked if I could share this with the church, and I have their permission to do so. So I'm going to read this to you. This is kind of a, just a little example of what Beth and I get to deal with every day, which is a joy for us, but that you probably really aren't aware of because you don't know what's going on out there. This is what uh, they write. Words cannot begin to express my sincere gratitude and appreciation for the wounded heart services that, have been blessed, that I have been blessed to receive throughout the past year and a half. Throughout my journey of receiving counseling, I've learned so much about myself, life in general, and most important of all, I have learned about developing and having a personal relationship with God. In the past year and a half, my emotions and progress have taken the path of a roller coaster. I've experienced the depths of valleys and the peaks of mountains. No matter where I was in that roller coaster, Jeff and Beth have been there to support me and share the precious word of God with me. Once I began to learn more about God and his word, it became possible for me to develop the happiness, faith, courage, and trust that I was desperately lacking. For God's work that has shined through Jeff's, I'm sorry, God's work that has shined through Jeff's counseling sessions is absolutely priceless. Those sessions have allowed and led me to make such significant progress in healing from deep wounds that were greatly affecting and limiting my life. I have, I have since learned how to have life abundantly instead of living in fear and in the constant stage of coping. Another concept that I learned was that God is love. And I am one of his children who he created and loves, and he will always be there for me, which we just sang about. I have also learned that uh, what it is like to follow God's way and leading through life instead of trying to control everything to go my way. It creates such a great sense of relief and freedom to know that God will always take care of me, keeping me safe and secure for all of my days. One of the most important things that I have learned is the power of prayer and communicating with God on a regular basis. The power of prayer has allowed me to experience deep and significant healing during my counseling sessions. These experiences were life-changing. And finally, I am so thankful for the progress that I have made with healing and developing a personal relationship with God, and I am extremely blessed to have had the opportunity to receive the Word of God and wisdom through Jeff's counseling sessions. The way that God has worked in me and shown himself in my life this past year and a half is simply amazing. I look forward to continuing learning about myself, growing in my faith, and deepening my relationship with God. Wounded Heart Counseling Ministry has changed my life by opening my eyes, redirecting my mind, strengthening my spirits, and most of all, healing my heart. Thanks. Yeah, give that, that's God, right? And I want you guys to understand, I, I, I even kind of hesitant to read that because I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I'm going to break my arm, pat myself on the back. I just wanted to give you an idea of what God's doing. And this is kind of a, a, a real typical sampling of what God is doing and the healing that God is doing. People are coming, they're broken, they're in a horrible place. And I'm honest about this when I say it's beyond my ability many times to help them. And so when we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit and we invite the presence of God to come into that counseling session, things just happen that never cease to amaze me. So that's all God. And, and, and we couldn't be doing this without the help that some of you are extending to us financially uh, through the giving that you do on a regular basis. And mostly, mostly is your prayers. Please continue to pray for us. This is a frontline warfare ministry. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. But when you are dealing with people that are deeply broken and wounded, the enemy has, has his hooks and his claws deeply implanted in their lives. And so you are encountering and engaging spiritual warfare almost every day in that office. I pray over that office, 
And I cleanse that office with prayers on a regular basis because I know we're doing warfare in there. So thank you. That's all I want to say about that. And then the next couple of minutes that I have, I just want to share a few thoughts with you about what is genuine biblical and authentic community. You know, it's been said that we all need a place at the table, right? A place where we can feel safe. A place where we feel like we belong. A place where we can love and be loved. A place where we can know and be known. We need people in our lives who would do the following. People who would really listen to us, care deeply about our well-being, respect our boundaries, point us to Christ, love and accept us for who we are just as we are. Help us to forgive others as we have been forgiven. People who will not violate our confidence, who will not minimize or discount our pain, and who will not judge or condemn us. Now, would you agree with me that having people like that in your life is a very, very important thing? I mean, would you guys agree with that? Would you agree that that's really the kind of biblical community that, that God wants us to experience here at Kirby? Would you agree with that? Well, the next question I want to ask you is, where are you experiencing that kind of community? Where do you experience that kind of community? Who do you have in your life that is uh, such as the people that I just read just a minute ago? Who do you have, who can you go to that will really listen, care deeply, respect your boundaries, point you to Christ? Who do you have in your life? Can you think of five? Can you think of three? Can you think of one? And that's the problem with most of us. We have a hard time. We believe that we need this. We know this is important, yet many of us have not taken the, in the efforts and been intentional about creating that kind of community. And if you're not experiencing that kind of community, you're not experiencing biblical community. Larry Crabb, who's a Christian psychologist and an author, says this. He describes this lack of genuine community as what he calls disconnection. He defines disconnection as a condition of existence where the deepest part of who we are is vibrantly attached to no one. Where we are profoundly unknown and therefore experience neither the thrill of being believed in nor the joy of loving and being loved. And unfortunately, that defines many of us today in the church. I personally believe that a Christian cannot experience the fullness and abundance of life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10 without the context of community. There is no lone ranger Christian model anywhere in the Bible. Study the New Testament, I challenge you, and try and see if it's there. Jesus came and he exemplified community. When he started his earthly ministry, the very first thing he did was to what? gather a community around him, gathered a small community, a small group community of 12. And from that 12, he poured himself into their lives for three and a half years. And after his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, and the, there was only 11 of them at that time, as you know, because Judas 
betrayed Christ, and, and then later killed himself. So they brought in another man to complete the 12 again. And then from that 12, they grew to 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. And then I think in Acts chapter 3, you read, it grew to 5,000. But how did it all start? In, a, in the context of a small group community, right? Isn't it interesting also that God himself exists in community? Have you ever thought about that? God himself exists in community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they exist in this interdependent type of a relationship. That's community. Now follow my train of thought here if you can. Sometimes Beth has a hard time following my train of thought. If God himself lives and exists in a perpetual existence of community and he created us in his image, then isn't it also true that a part of what it means to be created in the image of God involves living in community? Isn't that true? Wouldn't that make sense? So a part of my responsibility as, a, as one who bears the image of God before the world involved in that is this idea that I have to be involved somehow in community. I can't do it alone. There are no lone rangers in the church. Well, there's plenty of them in the church, but they're not intended to be there because everyone needs a place at the table. Psychologists have even learned that it is within the context of community that we develop emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, and they're finding out that it is in this context of community that we are formed and then often we are deformed because we get hurt and wounded and broken. And therefore, it takes community for us to be reformed. So we are formed and shaped in community. We are wounded and deformed in community. And we are healed and reformed in community. So without community, none of that is possible. Well, in Acts chapter 2, and I'm just going to read the text very quickly. Because I was going to share with you. You can just follow along with me. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We read this about the early, early church. The early church. I'm talking right after Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The launching of the church. This describes their fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And the word there in the Greek is koinonia. Koinonia, that's very significant. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. Now there were over 3,000 of them at this time. It's impossible for 3,000 people to meet in one home. So what does this indicate? They were meeting in what? Small group communities in their homes. And they gave to everyone. Okay, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's easy. When I'm eating, I have a very glad and sincere heart. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I wanted you to just take note of a couple things here, and I'm going to close. Koinonia. That's the word for fellowship in the Greek. That's the word for community. Now, all churches, most churches have what we call a fellowship hall. We use our gym kind of as our fellowship hall. 
Now listen to me. Be honest. Typically, what is your experience of a fellowship hall? What does that mean? What do we go to? The, what do we do when we go to the fellowship hall? We eat, and I'm not opposed to that. Trust me, I'm not opposed to that. But that's not the idea of fellowship in the Greek. The fellowship here, and I want you to understand this: the word koinonia is taken from the root word kononos, and it means to to have a partner, associate, a comrade. A companion, and it even gets down to the idea of the level of intimacy of intercourse. Now, obviously, we're not referring to sexual intercourse in the church as a means of, you know, community. Please, I want to be clear on that. But this is what we are talking about. This is what he means: the emotional connection, the spiritual connection between believers should be as personal and intimate as intercourse. That's how we are supposed to to come together as a body. That's how close we are designed by God to partner with. And that's why when I saw Dawn and Deidre standing there with their hands together in praise to God, I was moved because that's koinonia. That's koinonia. That was it right there. There was that intimacy, that connection that bound them together because of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, why do we have a problem as our, in, our, in our churches today. We have a problem with this. Why? A lot of it has to do with our Western and our American culture. We have been taught that we are supposed to tough it out. We are supposed to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We are supposed to be a self-made man. We are supposed to do all of these things. And we even come to the place where we get the idea that that's biblical, that I'm supposed to be that guy. I'm supposed to be the guy that takes it all on myself. I help other people, but I don't ever need any help. I'm, that's, that's the biblical idea of manhood, and that is wrong. Have you ever heard the expression, God helps those who help themselves? Have you ever even thought or wondered, is that in the Bible? Is that a Bible verse? It's not in the Bible. And I'm going to go out on the, and say something pretty strong right here. Hopefully you'll follow me with this. Not only is it not from the Bible, I believe it's right from hell itself. Now, I'm not saying that we're not supposed to be responsible as adults. That's not what I mean. So don't misunderstand me. But to think that I have to help God out a little bit in order for him to help me is blasphemous. Think about it. God's not going to help me unless I do a little bit to show him that he can help me. That's works. Do we believe in a works righteousness around here? So why would we believe that we have to do something in order for God to do something for us? The biblical model is this. God helps those who fall upon their face in confession of the fact that I'm wounded and broken and helpless. That's when God steps in. And that's when God does some amazing things. When little Truman was lying there facing death, no one, I, I guarantee not any of us who were praying for him thought we had any power to do anything to bring this little guy back. So we fell upon our faces in brokenness and in confession of the fact that God, if you don't do something, that little fella is going to die. And God stepped in. That's what it means, folks, to enjoy, to experience communion. Fellowship with one another. It is... It is a mutual interdependence upon one another. 
that's rooted and grounded in love for, for one another and love for Jesus Christ. It is following the model and the example of God himself. And it flies in the face of Western American culture. And this might be a hard pill for some of us to swallow. We have to understand that at some point in time, we have got to separate what is biblical from what is cultural. We grew up and were saturated by a culture and just assume a lot of these things are right and biblical. And I'm going to ask you a question. If you're a Christian, do you follow Christ or do you follow the American way of life? If you're a follower of Jesus, then I'm going to challenge you to do it his way. And what was his way? Small group community life. He poured himself into 12. He had an even more intimate fellowship with three, Peter, James, and John. And from there, it took off and became what we are experiencing today. That's how it all got started. That's the model. And look at the lives of the, of the early church. Meeting together, meeting each other's needs, living in this close communion and bond. And I'll close with this. There's another thing that gives us problems, and that is we live within this relational paradox. We hunger for intimacy as human beings, whether you want to admit it or not. It's in there. God put it in there. He said in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for man to be alone. Created or woven rather within each and every one of us, deep within our hearts, is a hunger for intimacy, a hunger to be known by somebody else and to know as we are known, to love and to be loved. That's a hunger that's there. But because of the fall, because of sin, we have a fear of intimacy. What happened as soon as Adam and Eve sinned? They hid themselves, didn't they? They covered their nakedness with fig leaves because they were ashamed of their nakedness. And folks, today, we fear intimacy because we are ashamed to be emotionally naked before another human being. We fear it. So we hunger for it, and we fear it. So we fight it, and we resist it. And in so doing, we're fighting and resisting against the very nature God put within us and against the very thing we need the most in life, the love and the connection and the bond of another human being, a small group of human beings. And we have small group ministry here at the church, and that's precisely why we do it. And it's going to be our goal, our goal moving forward to take this to a whole new level. That's why Joe is coming, one of the big reasons why he's coming. So this morning as I close... I just want you to kind of bow your heads with me, and Don can come back to the piano I don't, however he wants to do it. Just close your eyes just for a minute, and I want to repeat the question I asked you later. I want to ask you a couple questions. Are you experiencing true, authentic, biblical community with other believers now? Are you experiencing that? And if not, why not? Why not? And then also want to ask you this. Can you think right now, and there's a way to answer this question, can you think of five people other than family members, can you think of five people in your life that you can go to 
and become emotionally naked in front of? Can you think of three? Can you even think of one outside of your family? If you can't, you're not living in true, biblical, authentic community. And so this morning, as Don leads us in a song, I just want you to respond however the Spirit of God leads you to respond. If you want to come forward and pray, that's fine. If you want to pray at your seat, that's fine. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, as Don leads us in a song.